0: And we made some decisions and the first thing we decided was uh, I'm going to push hard for the people not to hoard. I'm going to push hard for the people to be generous and keep their ears to the ground. Uh, I'm also going to try to push people not to test loyalties at this time. Like who's thinking about me? Why is nobody reaching out to me? If that's your thought process, it's pretty narcissistic in a worldwide pandemic and you should probably pick up the phone and call some other people. Mm-hmm. And so it's just wakening people up from this stuff. Um, and the second thing we decided was that, like, we're going we're gonna to continue to pay our people, even the hourly people, even though they can't work, we're going to continue to pay them no matter what. And we're going to cut every single place that we possibly can because the people are more important than all of this. Even if it comes to um, we have equity in the building, we can pull from that to pay our people. Like, what's more important?
1: Hard work. work. Hard work. That's what they say. Hard work. work. Hard work. I earn my pay. Hard work. work. Hard work. Every day. Well, welcome once again to another Work Ethic podcast. I'm sitting here today um, with Tommy Phillips, who is a senior pastor at Watermark Church, also a recording artist. Um, Preston Phillips. Prezin. And uh, yep. Prison? Yeah. That's what happens when you just read. Okay. Uh, so, dude, um, what? how about this? Why don't you go ahead and jump in? Just flesh out that bio a little bit and kind of introduce yourself to everyone listening.
0: All right, uh, Tommy Priest and Phillips been um, the pastor of again Watermark Church in, in Tampa, Florida, for uh, uh, since 2006. So coming up on fifth, who knows how long that is. Um, but I, I've been working there since 2003. I got hired back then because I was I was a musician. I was in a band, and uh, when I was in town, I would lead worship for 50 bucks a week. Um, and uh, I was like, sweet gig, gets more money than I make playing music. So I started leading <laughs> worship there, and um, I had a a degree in religion for actually from, from, of all places, Liberty University. Um, and, uh, I, so I studied there and, uh, when I got out of there, I had no desire to be in the ministry anymore. So I, I, um, saw a lot of saw behind the curtain, a bunch there. Um, and, uh, from there, yeah, I got into music, uh, I was traveling and playing and, um, at some point started leading worship and then that church collapsed. Um, I'm not going to get into all the details. There's a lot of them, but the whole thing collapsed. And then me and a few people were left and we started, uh, sort of got together and we wanted to keep meeting. So we could still pay rent. And as long as we could pay rent, we'd keep meeting. And then, um, that was about 2006. So, uh, um, we went from about 30 to 60, 80, about 150 or so. Um, and then we basically got pushed out by our landlord, um, and it turned into, us buying a space and it was just a whole long thing. So now I, I've been there, um, a long time and, and, uh, it's a normal, I guess, medium to large sized church. We're around about between six hundred and fifty, and you know, swings up to 800 and back down to whatever, 500, whatever. Um, and, uh, I've been doing that a long time, but over, over the years I've, I've, uh, I've, uh, I never really gave up music. I've still been making that. We put out a record last year as well. That's our fifth studio record. And, um, uh, it's called Tempters, by the way, and each record is stuff that we've written as a band for our church to sing, um, congregational music. Uh, it started off sort of an alt-country sound, and then it, now like a folk sound originally, you know, and as stuff moved along, it progressed into like alt-country, and now it's sort of just a, a pop rock kind of sound. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's stuff that we all sing together as a community, and, and, and uh, a lot of musicians, and a lot of songwriters, it's just a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, over the years, I've had a lot of strange spiritual journeys, uh, pretty early on in my ministry, I actually lost my faith, had to rebuild it and, um, got involved in, um, emerging church for a while until that collapsed and, and, uh, and, uh, at some point went back to seminary, studied under Anglicans and Anabaptists and, uh, rebuilt a lot of stuff. So it's, it's been, uh, been a wild ride and here we
1: are now I'm sitting at a desk with you. Yeah, man. So, um. Man, okay, so I I want to actually jump into a bit of that that story, and then obviously in the current context. So for those listening, we're recording this actually on 420. Um, hey. But it is it is uh, I, I I typically don't um, like historically haven't been like trying to timestamp these, but I think right now with the situation with COVID 19 and everything going on, mm-hmm. it is actually helpful to timestamp them. So if it takes a week to release this or whatever that like if Depending on how much the landscape changes, it, it puts us in context a little bit.
0: I thought you were going to go a totally different direction with that.
1: Uh, what? Well, <laughs> well, sure. <laughs> how much how much pot you've consumed already today? You don't have never to touch the stuff. <laughs> I've, never,
0: I've I've literally never touched the stuff. My uh, my wife has a very long history, and she's filled me in on her long past, and it's been so, uh, I've heard eye opening. <laughs>
1: Man. Well, so I will tell you what, because so obviously I'm going to want to hear about like some of your uh, observations and experience in the, in the current landscape. But I, I think before we kind of jump into all of that, um, I, I, I'm interested. Okay. So because this show, just for context for you, has been framed around really like the place of work in our lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious for your own, your own life um, and your own relationship to your work. Uh, I, I, I'd like to go back as far as you're able to remember. And actually try to try to remember maybe when work took on meaning as a word in your life. Like mm. what what are your earliest memories of what you would know as work or call work?
0: I actually so while I'm talking, you're gonna hear my family all here. All the kids are home from Good. school. So yep. big family. Yep. So you'll hear them running around talking. Um, I got my first job when I was 13. I was uh, but before that, I I okay, let me set the stage for this. My dad directed a, a massive worldwide missions organization and youth organization called word of life. Um, maybe you've heard of that, you know, mm-hmm. that. um, and it's in like 42 countries around the world, something like that. Uh, but, um, basically my dad set up all of the, you know, all of the, the youth camps and the Bible institutes and stuff like that. And I was just always there helping him work always. But, uh, at 13 i decided that i wanted to homeschool i i went to a christian school which was basically around around tampa a homeschool uh, like a a christian school in tampa is basically like back in the i guess in the 90s it was the place where all the public school kids that got kicked out ended up and it was awful man it was it was terrible um and i wasn't learning anything i Mm -hmm. so i i I backed out of school i told my parents i want to homeschool and so i would get my work done every morning by 10 o'clock in the morning my schoolwork and then i'd I'd go to work in the kitchen. I I worked in the dish pit, um, and uh, washed dishes and got out of off work the same time my friends got off school. Except I had a paycheck, and um, it was uh, it was great. I could save up. I bought myself a little scooter and was cruising around everywhere. So like my first experience with work was like, um, it was a daily ritual. It was something that you did. Mm. Um, over the years, I've come to see work as something far different um it still it includes a, like I, I think everyone should be doing something like everyone has to have a thing that they do but the reason behind it all i mean um we're there's this sense in which we were created even even that's what i think the writers of genesis are getting at that we are created to order things mm-hmm. everyone has something that they contribute in the ordering of creation to me it's rooted in my uh my sort of um, kingdom theology of like yep. uh, the um, that we were put here as the Imago Dei. And that's, if you want to go into that, that's a whole other thing that that sort of sets what we're supposed to be doing here for me. Imago Dei. Some people talk about it as, Oh, it's, it's why we treat people nicely. It's why we aren't racist and this and that because they're made in the image of God. Sure. That's a bit of it, but it's way bigger than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, for me, it, it's, my theology kind of leads me into a sense of like, of like you, you meet people who, who like are really good with numbers and for some reason they like spreadsheets. And there's other people who like um, when you're talking to them, they're doing something with their hands. I had a, um, I had a, friend, a friend's grandfather would go to his house and he would always sit there with like a stick and a knife and be whittling that stick. Mm-hmm. Like there's you're ordering, you're taking... There's a big storm happening out there. There's a big... It's getting
1: serious. <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> there's like this... Um, there's this sense in which everyone has a desire to order the world in some way to contribute in some way Mm -hmm. i may lose power here but well i'm gonna keep rolling (laughs) we'll see what happens do you you hear that it's crazy
1: it Um, is nuts outside
0: and so everyone has sort of this role and everyone like and so like i'm not surprised when i find people who are like uh can i can i organize your folders i I have, I have an executive assistant because I, I can't organize anything. I can't organize a sock drawer.
1: I'm similarly afflicted, yeah.
0: Dude, I can create and I'm, a, I'm an ideas guy like you. Like, I know what an end product should look like. How do you get there? I have no idea how to get there. Yeah. Um, but I'm just going to go full speed towards it and usually hit a wall. But uh, basically, I, they, the church hired me an executive assistant to fix some of these problems. And she's like, can I organize your, your file folder? I was like, why? She's like, it's a mess. I'm like... I mean, you can just search for stuff though and you can find everything. She was like, it should be organized. I'm like, okay. She was like, and then I got on like FaceTime with her two weeks later. And she was like, so happy. It's all organized. And this, I was just like, what is, it, it doesn't make any sense to me that there's these people who like to organize, but this is how we are. And for me, it all goes back to the Imago Dei. It all goes back to the idea that we were put here with a position and a purpose. It's a status. It's an office. It's a vocation. Um, each of us created intricately. Um, and I think that's the story that Genesis is telling. It's telling you what you're doing here. I'm not Mm -hmm. one of those that reads it as a science book. It's telling you why you are here. They had no idea how they got here,
1: but they knew Mm -hmm. exactly why they were here. Man, yeah, that's good. And I I'm I'm it's it seems I was excited to talk to you about this topic for the exact reason you just very easily kind of transitioned into because I knew for you there would be some some theological kind of bedrock from your understanding of work and maybe a theology of work in our our place, its place in our lives. And um, I'm curious, although I wanted to ask you about your, your assistant organizing your folders. Um, how did it feel for you? Like, how does it feel now that they're organized?
0: Oh, dude, it's amazing. Do you love it? Everything has a like. It's it's intuitive. It's it's almost like <laughs> Apple did it. Like I, everything is labeled and everything. Isn't it glorious? Like it's normally, like, my stuff is scattered across the desktop, and then like the last update, Apple did this thing where like they'll take everything
1: on your desktop and drop it into a stack. And I'm like, oh, problem solved. <laughs> it's all gone, but it's not. <laughs> it's all cleaned up <laughs> over there in this disaster. Yeah, and heavy, heavily relying on the on the search bar, and I'm I'm overwhelmingly jealous of the. <laughs> the impulse of the assistant to uh, put those in order. I've been um, hugely a fan of any order. Others have helped establish in my life, but I've never been the orderly one, uh, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, So I'd like to, I'd like to, I don't know, invite you to continue a little bit just on the kind of like the musing, like theologically on kind of like the so you kind of say, okay, we each have something to contribute. There's some way that we're meant to do something. Some office use the word vocation. Like what um I don't know, what is the let's say work as such, like the place of work in our in our own lives? Like um in some I, I don't know, talk about it maybe in 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 terms of relationship, perhaps. Yeah.
0: Let me start with that sort of I mean How, how, I guess I have questions about how far your podcast is comfortable going into like church theology as well.
1: It's, it's, so I'm, I'm completely fine to go wherever you want to go. So, um, I mean, just assume, go ahead and assume, don't assume any like prior knowledge, right? But like completely comfortable wherever you want to take us.
0: Okay. So in the ancient world, when you're building a temple, um, Mesopotamia, ancient Mesopotamia, um, there's certain steps uh, there is, they're always built in measurements of seven. So you're gonna gather all the parts in the ancient temples. Um, and temples have a, have, a, have a point, a reason for existing, I'll get to that. So like you're gonna gather all of the stones and all of the things, you're going to assemble it. Starting day one, you're going to assemble this temple. Um, and let's just say it's seven weeks or seven days, let's just say seven days, because a lot of them would attempt to do it in seven days. So you're going to build this temple in seven days and every temple is going to have a garden. Every temple is going to have uh, sort of a a space in the middle with a a hole in the roof and the sun's going to come down through there. Um, And in the middle of that garden, in the middle of that temple, there's going to be um, an idol that is placed there on the sixth day. Um, And this idol is made in a specific way. On the sixth day, the priest comes along, the priest uh, who is there to teach you about that God and that God's role in your life. That priest comes along and gathers some dust of the earth, some clay or something, and that priest um, does a spiration ceremony. In other words, um, the clay is still wet, and he digs his thumbs into the ears to open up the ear canal and the nose and the eyes and carves out the nose with his thumbs, like holding the temple, the the idol with both hands. And then he... uh, He breathes on it. He like blows the breath of life, quote unquote, into the idol and places it in the center of the garden. When you read Genesis, this is the entire ceremony. It's the entire thing. There is a, there's seven days, six days. And on the seventh day, God rests because the temple is done. Man is made from the dust. The word Adam means ground means from the ground. Um, And the whole thing is there. There's the garden, there's the idol. And so then you have to ask the question, why are they doing this? What's the point of the idol? Why is the idol put there? So the idol is put there so that because there's no physical body that the God has. The gods were spirits, right? So you're going to make a physical body out of earth and you're going to put it in the middle of the temple. Um, And so worshipers, when they come, will enter into the garden and they will look into the garden and they're going to see the idol stand there. Sometimes they're like the size of like, up to your knee and sometimes they're going to be 20 feet high um, depending on like the wealth of the temple builders and you're going to look at this idol and you're going to know several things you're going to deduce from the shape of it from the features they put on it some of the attributes of that god you're going to see so like you have in the artemisium in um in ephesus you're going to have this goddess standing there she's 30 or 40 feet tall and artemisian is one of the it was like one of the wonders of the world at one time and there's this there's this uh, female statue with like 35 breasts. And so you look at it and it, it, you gather from that, that this has something to do with childbirth and with providence and with uh, nursing and, and raising and taking. And so then you can gather that Artemis is the goddess of like childbirth and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and the story of Artemis was that like, she gave birth to the cosmos and this and that. And that's what Paul's addressing in first second Timothy two, uh, first Timothy two, but Um, so you walk in, you look at the idol and you can see some of the attributes of God. Um, in other words, like the way Genesis is telling the story is that human beings were put there so that the rest of creation and those who weren't followers of Yahweh could look at us and know what God was like and know what God did. This was the definition of the Imago Dei. So the Imago Dei is not just a description of what you look like. It's not a description of what God looks like. It is, it is a, um, an office you have been put here. You are, um, you are below God but you're above creation. You have a role in creation. Um, Deuteronomy um, lays this out. Genesis three twenty six lays this out. It's um, dominion over and and it's there's this word dasha in there. Um, each producing what is the what is the phrasing? Each producing after its own kind. It's this word is dasha is the producing. It's you're there to expound and grow and, and move things forward. And so humanity is put in that office. So you have a place that you occupy. You are not, you are not part of, you are not at the level of creation of everything else. And by the way, that's why we call it the fall because it's us debasing ourselves to the level of everything else and just taking part in the, the um, fulfilling of our fleshly desires. Like you're dropping yourself from your office. Um, <clears throat> And in reality, you're put there in an office, and it's not just an office, it's a vocation. So you were put there to order things, to carry them forward. Uh, that's why there's so many commands in the books, in Levitical Law, to, for the people to take care of the animals around them, to, uh, to, to nurse them back to health, to never abuse them. That's also why you have these bizarre laws, like things that don't seem to make any sense until you take the whole thing as an as a, as a entire group. So you have laws about how to treat animals and how to treat food. Um, there's two specific commands that pop into my mind that, um, let's see, one of them is you don't, when you go, when you find a nest, you don't take both the eggs and the mother bird. Um, when you are cooking a calf, you don't cook that calf in its mother's milk. These are abominations. Like why, why are these abominations? Well, it's a disrespecting of life, of the process of life, of where life comes from. If you take And they always end with, so that you may live well in the land. If you take the egg, you can eat the egg. The mama bird can make more eggs. If you take the mama, um, those eggs can still hatch and more birds will come out of that. If you take the egg and the mama bird, you're going to end up starving. You're going to end up uh, quarantining your house two months later in a coronavirus because you've mistreated everything. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. there's a respecting of life that has to happen and how you treat things around you. So, like, um, our main in my mind, our main reason for work is that we are the Imago Dei. We are placed here so that when all of creation and all of humanity looks at us, and this is, now I'm talking about the church and Israel and the the church as a restored Israel. Um, uh, So when they look at us, they should see, they should be able to gather several things, the attributes of God, um, how God... takes care of the world and nourishes it forward Um, and how god treats the world around us how um god treats other people um the role of forgiveness and mercy they should know who jesus is by looking at jesus church um it should all be laid out right there which is why when you get into the prophets you get into ezekiel and ezekiel writes about like for too long god's god's lays it out for these people. He's like, for too long, the world has been looking at you and you've been committing genocide and you've committed murder and you've committed, you've been, um, worshiping those other idols, which means that they're also taking part in the rape and uh, the genocide of other nations. You've gathered yourself slaves. You become just like the people you got saved from. You built armies, which, um, just all, you look exactly like everyone else in the world and now everyone is looking at you and they think Yahweh is talking. He says, they think I'm like you. And, God is offended because everyone thinks that God is like them instead of them Mm -hmm. being like God. And so Ezekiel says, I saw the presence of God leave the temple and it never came back. They even like it got ransacked and they rebuilt it and God never came back to the temple. Even in the first century, when Jesus was walking the earth to that day, God had never in their minds returned to the temple. There was no radiance. There was no cloud. There's none of that. Uh, Until the day that Jesus walks back in. And the first thing Jesus does when he walks into the temple is he flips the he flips the tables and he stops all the sacrifices and he brings in all these people outside the gates that have been banished since since this test, since, since the uh, entire city was established under David he brings in the blind and the beggars and the lame all of them who were not allowed inside the city and he brings them all in he stops all the sacrifices and he begins healing people so that's their way of saying god returned to the temple for the first time and how do we know because for the first time In the temple, there is an idol, the image of God, the idol right there, doing exactly what God intends to do with everyone. Stop the bloodshed, heal the people. Mm -hmm. It is taking care of the animals. It is taking care of the people. It is injecting the meaning back into it, and it is sitting back on the vocation and the office that you were intended to be in. It has nothing to do with escaping and flying away after you die. It has everything to do with... um, the fact that there is life before death, not just after, but there's life mm-hmm. way before, and we are put here to live that. So work flows out of this. That is, in the, the early Christian mindset, the basis of work is
1: being the image of God in the world. So for somebody listening that understands their own vocation and work as, I don't know, artist, bricklayer, um, you know what insert any kind of like vocational pursuit here um how how might they like how how might they set their own understanding of their their task in that in that broader framework so that's like in some sense feels like the work of the church like this is the work of the church or the work Mm -hmm. of the people of god um theologically it makes sense to go this is the the vocation of, of man. Mm-hmm. Um but for the for the person listening that's like I'm a Mason. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm a I'm a I lay brick. Uh just I don't know. Can you like speak to them and kind of like connect? How do you connect those to the oh, like dude first thing to I my today?
0: Say, dude, the first thing I would say is I would point out, I mean I'd go back to the Old Testament. I'd point out the very first person in all of scriptures ever to be filled with what they call the spirit of God was an artist. Um who worked in sculpting mm-hmm. and stonework and masonry? Um, forgetting his name right now. I know it all the time until I need it. Um, <laughs> forgetting his name, but that was like that was the role of him. It's the beautification of the space. It was, it was like um, where the image of God, where God dwells, is beautiful. We're gonna make this place hella beautiful. Like we're gonna make it as amazing as possible. So mm-hmm. like. I would say several things. I would say, first off, your work is never uh, personal. It is never just for you. It is for all. And this goes for everybody. People who work in isolation for themselves, gathering for themselves, even at the expense of other people. Um, That is not the work of, that would ever be accepted in in like the community of of Christ in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. Like um, everyone was expected to do things that benefit everyone it was never just for themselves and so the one who comes up with the pyramid scheme to rip everybody off so they can make the money while everyone else is trying their best to rip everybody off as well and they're training other people like that kind of work wouldn't fit within the work of god's people at the very beginning um uh, sure we've separated we've separated ourselves from these ethics now and so you'll find Christians in all kinds of forms of work. But uh, I would say for the people who, you know, I'm, I'm a bricklayer, I'm, a, I'm an artist, I'm a recording artist, whatever. Um, all of that is necessary in God's world. It wouldn't, and I, theologically speaking, we, I would say the only reason you have that desire and that gift and that ability is because it is necessary.
1: To kind of bring that contribution to the whole that is making things beautiful, bringing things in yeah. order, putting things together properly or whatever. Its existence
0: is an argument in itself that it belongs. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I guess you could always point out and say, yeah, but what about con artists? What about con sure. and scam art? The, uh, the scam is not the gift. <laughs> um,
1: what, but the capacity to scam is a persuasion, gift, Persuasion. Right? Yeah, the yeah. persuasion,
0: like the hold that you have on people. You could persuade people to do amazing things. Yep, I've that's right.
1: This. Yeah, it's interesting. And you see examples of, um, yeah, people, I mean, even the story of Paul, right, is the story of like this guy that's got this really rat. I mean, at some sense, even just temperamentally, it's like, if this is wrong, let's go kill all of them, the early church or whatever. I'm going to stand by and oversee Uh, martyrs and this and that. And yet after conversion is like out in the streets, preaching writes most of the new Testament letters is like, it's like in some sense, it's like, okay, I Hmm. am, I am radically engaged in whatever I believe to be true. It's not like he changed temperament or who he was or skill set or gifting as much as aims, right? Like goes, he's a here now.
0: I mean, it's interesting. Paul is a, we know a lot about Paul. We know he was a, He studied under Gamaliel, this famous rabbi. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he's like the son of Hillel, which that school of thought still exists today. Hillel, synagogues, everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, And he's a Pharisee. This guy never did manual labor up until you see him in the book of Acts. He's in his 20s and he's killing people um, who are heretics. This guy's never done manual labor yet. 10 years later, he's a tent maker. I'm like, what? Um, What happened was, after he hears the story of Jesus, he has this, apparently, he has this experience where he experiences the presence of, of Jesus, is the only way he can define it. And, and, and he goes and finds the Christians, and they teach him everything they know about Jesus. And what happens is, Paul moves to Tarsus and starts learning to make tents. And you're like, why? Does, what does this have to do with anything? So we know in the ancient world, there was this guy, Dio Chrysostom, he writes about about the scum of the earth. He's like high class in the ancient world doing this. And this is fascinating in the ancient world doing manual labor was the lowest class thing. The high class, high status people made their money with their brains, um, through being a rhetorician, giving speeches and impressing people playing music, um, and generally schmoozing with other high class people. But if you worked with your hands, you were considered the lowest of the low. And the city of Tarsus in particular was considered, it's, it's like how Christians would talk about Las Vegas, right? The city of sin and it's terrible and it's evil. So Paul moves to this place and he probably was, he apparently had roots from there and he moves back there and he learns, he moves into the corner of the city where the linen workers were. And the lowest class of all, Dio Chrysostom writes about him, and he says, he's like, they're like the scum of the earth. And Paul purposely becomes the lowest of the low, working with his hands, learning this trade. I guess for several reasons. One of them, I guess you could argue was to like, to get to know those people who are working with their hands and to get to know what makes them tick, what this is about. And he learns this trade, but more than that, the early Christians knew that he did this because when you tell the story of Jesus, this is the story. Somebody who's like a King sitting on the throne and who didn't consider in their words, considers all of this to be thrown out and, and he enters into the world and born in a manger. He's not even born into a palace, the bottom of the bottom. So the Christians looked at this as like, okay, the life that Jesus lived, we're going to order ourselves around this mm. and raise the status of the people at the bottom. So you have Paul, this high status person who was welcome at any king's table as a Pharisee, um, at least in, in Judea and in the surrounding areas. Um, <clears throat> and he abandons all of that and goes and becomes a linen worker. Um, and then starts bragging about how he's a linen worker. And then... He actually goes into Corinth, the city of Corinth, where all the, all the big speech makers were, where they're giving all this rhetoric and you get your honor and your privilege by giving speeches, not working with your hands, it was working with your brain. And then uh, Paul can speak. We've heard him speak mm-hmm. in the text and you, he walks into Corinth and the church is there and the church is all excited. They're like, all right, now our guy is going to give us high honor because he's a great speaker. Here we go. Here we go. And he walks in and gets a, does, on purpose does a terrible job. He's just monotone. He just doesn't really care. He just says the words and moves on. And his church is pissed. Like they're so mad and they're writing him letters and he writes them back. He's like, like this, this, this is not what I'm doing. I'm not here to get your high class, to get your high power from all these people and impress them with what I do. I'm here to do what Jesus did was just to abandon my high honor and high status and go to the bottom and work with my hands to do good in this world, to create shelter for people. To, and and the, everything that Paul does orders his life around those people at the bottom because that's what Jesus did. Fast forward to the church, and this is what you see them doing, gathering at the table with slaves and women and Jew and Gentile and everybody all coming together to make sure they're all taken care of. And Acts twice and Acts, Acts two and Acts four, they're like, they're looking around the room, and they're saying, who has needs? Who doesn't have money? Let's mm-hmm. take part. And so they're working together to meet the needs of the entire community. And they are now representative of the image of God, everything as it should be doing their role in the world. It's amazing.
1: It's incredible. Um, And it's interesting as you talk about this diverse group of people coming together and saying who has needs and kind of how we're going to fulfill those needs. I can't help, but like look at some of the situation our world is in right now. And even outside of the church, seeing people coming together, going, Hey, who has needs? Where can we meet those needs? Kind of the, 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 the beauty that is emerging around some of the pain and, you know, Stuff that is happening right now. Um, I know you as you're kind of running through this, I, I noticed you've been doing a um, which I, I, I think is actually brilliant. You're doing um, a couple different things for like lunch gatherings, right? Through Zoom, you're doing but a history of the church is one of those, yeah. And and the other is what just Bible, Bible just studies, just Bible for basically? lunch, just
0: random things that I'll never get to teach on a Sunday.
1: That's awesome. How many of those have you been able to do so far? I think like five,
0: yeah. I have one tomorrow at noon,
1: we're doing so, yeah. And That's then
0: it. And then we're also posting them all on the YouTube channel so that people can go back and watch them all. Last week we did Justin Martyr. Mm-hmm. And uh, people are always very surprised to learn how the early, the early church fathers believed. It's, it's fascinating and how they lived and how it's vastly different from modern Christianity.
1: Well, I, I'm curious to put in conversation a little bit, the, 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 knowing that you kind of had your head in the history of the church and are talking through that with folks. And then our current context and trying to navigate your own life of the church, your own kind of pastoral role role in a church community. Now, today, um, there's always challenges uh, in our own world and culture. And then specifically now, given the coronavirus and all that we're facing, like how has just talked to me about this experience, um, opportunities and challenges in the in the current landscape and kind of having to move to the the move away from gathering groups of people as you've kind of historically done as the church has historically done to some online platform, things like that. Just, I don't know. I'd love to just hear how your work has been transformed and what opportunities have emerged.
0: All right. Um, I would say first off, I think the reason people need to look back at church history is because we don't realize how Roman America is Mm -hmm. incredibly Roman. Um, when I was watching um, what was the uh, Robert Mueller, Donald Trump going back and forth. These are Romans, man. Like these are, these are guys who are all about honor. And these are, are guys who are all about, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back harder. Um, the, the display of power. And so America, the context in which the church is now existing, if we were to actually grasp the context of the early church as well, Mm-hmm. we would know how to respond. But the problem is we've already Christians in America, by the time they're of age of going to church and on their own, they are already fully discipled in the, in the empire.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so it's almost like you're working backwards. You're trying to deconstruct um, the stranglehold that the empire has on the throats of God's people. Yep. Um, and, and so, geez, Um, I'm trying to figure out where to even begin this thing. I had an idea. I'm sort of drawing a blank. Um, I I think, so, so look at what's going on right now. Um, All the people who have high honor, high status, all the people who make their money with their brains, where Mm -hmm. are they right now? They're perfectly safe. They're at home. They're working from home. Myself included working from home. I make my money with my brain. Mm -hmm. Um, Where are all the people who make money with their hands? Um, A lot of them are, Uh, running around getting us groceries. They're making our food and bringing it to our doorsteps, Mm -hmm. risking their very lives. And the ethics of this is astounding to work through. That there's this group of people who have never been considered essential in any way. They're the people that regularly get yelled at at the cashier counter. And now we're suddenly working, having to work through the ethics and realize that, like, oh, all these people that were essential and all important before that we rubbed shoulders with and wanted to be like, They're not the ones that can help us. We have our military budget is seven times larger than the next seven. Like it's like bigger than the next seven countries combined. Um, But the military can't save us right now. The only people that can save us is the bottom of the barrel. How we've always considered them food service people. We tell you'll, you'll only ever amount to food service. That's how Mm -hmm. you insult a teenager
1: flipping burgers or something. Turns
0: out they're Mm -hmm. the heroes right now, risking their lives. Um, to save us. So like the bottom, I mean, this is a—it's close to a gospel story in our days. You can look around and see the people mm-hmm. at, the, at the bottom, despised and spit upon by society, are now bringing salvation to the rest of us. Um, <clears throat> this is where the church would be. And so it's difficult because when you start talking about how the early church lived and existed, the problem is we're so discipled in the ways of the empire that like, All we can do is start labeling things. Well, that sounds like communism. That sounds like socialist. And that sounds like this and that we're quick to label because that's all we've ever been taught. We are a people of labels. Yet when you actually look at what the church was doing, it fits in none of it. It doesn't fit in any of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, the right is labeling things one way and the left is labeling things the exact opposite way. And Jesus is in the middle. I guess I still don't have a place. I still don't have a home. Um, So the challenge is definitely trying to awaken people to the fact that like what the church early church was going through and what we're going through is not that different. And if you even read through all the times that the church has survived plagues and dealt with plagues, by the way, this is not the first time the church has had to cancel services for very long periods of time, have public gap. This has happened over and over and over. Um, And so like, the way the church is existing now and the way it was back then, very similar, uh, and, and trying to awaken people that like, um, to, to flip things upside down in your mind. It's all very complicated. We've, um, it's already hard enough to, um, to get people to hold loosely to tangible material wealth. It's even hard to get myself and ourselves to hold loosely to these things. um, Because so much of our life is wrapped in it, and and you're always ready to revert to these old ways of how you live and how you survive and what you need. And so our first reaction as a church was two things. We came together as elders online um, and we made some decisions. And the first thing we decided was uh, I'm going to push hard for the people not to hoard. I'm going to push hard for the people to be generous and keep their ears to the ground. Uh, I'm also going to try to push people not, to test loyalties at this time. Like, who's thinking about me? Why is nobody reaching out to me? If that's your thought process, it's pretty narcissistic in a worldwide pandemic and you should probably pick up the phone and call some other people. Mm. And so it's just wakening people up from this stuff. Um, and the second thing we decided was that like, we're gonna, we're gonna continue to pay our people, even the hourly people, even though they can't work, we're gonna continue to pay them no matter what. And we're gonna cut every single place that we possibly can because the people are more important than all of this. Even if it comes to, Um, we have equity in the building. We can pull from that to pay our people. Like what's more important. Mm. Um, all this stuff can be rebuilt at the will of the people. If the people continue to think that it's great to have, for us to have a space to get together, the people will provide that. But the people have made decisions that some people should get paid to carry a load of weight and work that blesses their lives. And so we're going to continue this. And so pretty quickly we put out a statement like, no, we're not canceling as a way of sort of encouraging our people. Um, like continue to think about the staff who are here. Like I, it's, 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 I never thought about it until you get to a situation like this that like, there's people on my staff, like I employ their entire family. (laughs) So like, it's not like one of them can lose their income. It's like the entire family goes down. And Mm so there's this weight on that. And I mean, we survived the last recession in 2008 and we learned a lot from that. And so we've always been a pretty skinny church, a pretty, pretty capable of surviving on a dime um and we're trying our best to find ways to actually send money out during this um keeping here to the ground saying, trying to figure out and people haven't it's funny because people have not been very forthcoming in who's lost their job and who hasn't it's like nobody wants to talk about it
1: nobody wants really? to admit it i got in the community even in the community interesting not,
0: not a single person has told me i've heard that there are a few that have lost their jobs i can't figure out who they are um either they're being taken care of mm-hmm. or they're ashamed uh, one of those I'm stoked on. The other one I'm—that's—we've missed. I've misthought missed something, and we've missed the point. um And and so, like, a challenge has been like finding a way because normally it's like that. You've made a decision to come together to see each other, and it's always been like that. It has never had to be. You've never had to hunt each other down, yeah. <laughs> and so now we have to hunt each other down. And, I've come to realize, uh, so many of my people are not on Facebook and did Mm -hmm. not give us their email address. Uh, (laughs) I didn't realize
1: how much we (laughs) depended on this.
0: Yeah. Like in technology, like, come on, like how in the world do I get a hold of people? How do I find these people? What do we do? Um, yeah, it's been really complicated and I, I don't know that we've done it. Well, I hope that we can look back and say that we, we did. I don't, I hope so. Um, I hear some great stories here and there. And and a couple, like one or two people have reached out and said, I know of somebody, my neighbor, their spouse lost their job. And and so we reach into the benevolence fund there and do what we can to pay directly to bills or whatever. Um, By and large, like this is for our generation, it's uncharted territory. So we kind of have to take it all apart and ask the question as the image of God, in a pandemic, what would Jesus look like? And that's the question we're trying to answer
1: whether or not we've been able to answer it, I don't know. Um, But we, we do our best to answer those questions and fleshing them out. Right. And doing your best to kind of walk your way through that. Well, I can tell you um, that, you know, so, you know, many, many folks like, you know, you guys have been a, Watermark's been a huge partner of the work of the well. And many of your folks are involved in our kinship food distributions and things that we're doing. And, and um, we've, uh the team the teams that have been represented from your community have been uh awesome and faithful and showing up and actually more so like reaching out like hey is there anything extra you guys need anything extra that we can do it's good to hear um and uh, i mean your 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 community has been uh just more and more valuable every day um as a as a as friends and partners and we've been super grateful for that and i and i just say like in in a time like this um where we had questions if people would waver um they've been steadfast and even i would say have doubled down you know and almost like they're not testing loyalties of others but like maybe their own loyalties were tested and they've shown up yeah and um you know in times when it's challenging and that's been just beautiful
0: that's been so important like i because like when this thing started i was actually in colorado i was i was Writing music for some people that brought me out there to write music for them, and mm. and uh, on my way back, everything just kind of hit. Like the last three days I was there, and on my way back, I got sick. I started like I was on a plane with people, and I I started like getting sick, and then I oh, I got, boy. and so that's when they started saying, should churches meet, should churches not meet, and I already had made the decision I can't go anywhere. I'm staying yeah. home, and it was like a Sunday or and a half left of like people like all scheduled set, set up to meet, and so right off the bat I was unavailable and there's always this fear in your head like like okay I can't lead this thing because I came back in and, and pretty quickly I found out all the people that I was staying with, with writing music they all got tested positive really? and I was like the, I was driving them around and like to get chicken wings in the middle of the night while we were writing all kinds of stuff and so I 90% chance I had the virus they wouldn't test me here because I didn't have a fever um but I had everything else, so I got back and I, I got back from Colorado, and I never left my house, and I haven't left my house for other than like two runs to the grocery store for a month and a half. And so it's just sort of like the, the computer screen has been this window to me like trying to figure out like, do they get it? Are they doing it? I can't do it. Are they doing it? And so it's sort of like, right off the bat, the top gets taken down, and you get to watch the bottom run around. And I've, I've been pretty happy. Like
1: it's been awesome. It, it, and actually, I think it's such a good, it's such a good opportunity. I mean, I think in a lot of, in a lot of places where leadership or for whatever reason, like in a place like this, where you're like, look, I've been confined to my house, only available through certain kind of zoom calls or meetups or whatever, but like it, it provides maybe space that didn't naturally otherwise exist. Right. There cre- creates opportunities for people to kind of rise to the occasion and kind of grow in their own. Yeah. Embrace of taking the responsibility and the things that are there. And, um, and yeah, it's we, cool for you to go, Oh, I just hear of it. Like I can only just hear of it. And, and yeah, I
0: get emails, I get updates and like, like I'll get an email to elders at watermark Tampa. And one of the elders will be like, I got this one. And I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. Well, let's go. Do I have a job anymore? Let's go. All right. <laughs> you know? Um, and I guess in a sense, the point of a pastor is to work himself out of a job. Um, yeah so that any one of these people can head out and do exactly the same thing. Um, and that's like, yeah, it's, it's been. Uh, shoot. You ever get these thoughts in your brain and they
1: just run. Oh, away constantly. The, instant, the very instant. Constantly. You constantly.
0: um Yeah. It's, it's sort of like y- you, you never know, like you were saying until you get tested, like what stuff, what, what's what stuff going to be like. And, and I, um and I remember hearing about, over my years of like hearing friends and stuff, uh, trying to get jobs as pastors, like seminary grads and stuff. And um, one of the main things that I've I've always noticed the more wise churches um, do is when they're when they're hiring people, instead of asking them all these doctrinal statements, they ask them a few things. They're like, tell us about times you've worked with people and it's failed. Tell us about times you've had to forgive people. Tell us about, um, and one of them, uh, tell us about the times you've been tested. Like." in ministry and i know several people who have talked about like they didn't hire me and they said because there was one church in particular that wouldn't hire people unless they had like really been tested like really had it hard Mm -hmm. they're like because these cocky guys like when i was at liberty this was one of the things i saw when i was at liberty i was in like religious studies and all these guys are coming out of seminary and uh they have this young pastors are it's it's they're terrifying i was too looking back at myself there's terrifying it's this it's this thought that like they have this career in mind of how things are going to go where it's all going to head to and they're going to climb this mountain and stand at the top and be a conference speaker or some some crap mm-hmm. like that um and it's not until they the church collapses and they hit the bottom that's when you start learning to be a pastor it's nothing you can pick up in seminary it's nothing you can pick up in anywhere like that it's stuff you learn going through the crap um and so like I would say, oh man, man my last, my last uh, week at school, at Liberty, there was um, a pastor theology class. And like the guy was like, you guys are all seniors. And he brought in a stack of um, uh, sort of job placement things like resumes, people looking, churches looking to hire pastors straight out of Liberty, you know, Southern Baptist evangelical churches. And they're like, here's one in Podunkville, Iowa. It pays 15,000 a year. Here's one uh, Manhattan that pays 180,000 a year and people are raising their hand to get these applications to apply for these churches and guess which ones didn't get taken. Um, Mm -hmm. Everyone wanted the huge career with the big paycheck and the big city and nobody, nobody wanted to commit their life to a small group of people, 10, 15, 20 families in a rural town, helping them do life marrying and burying their children like nobody wants that mm. and the reason is because seminary today teach leadership not i don't even know the word for it i don't want to say theology because technically they're teaching theology they just what is that thing that they're not teaching but the,
1: so the word that comes to mind for me tell me if i'm missing your point here is servanthood
0: yes that's it yeah um, like the these these programs are all funded by big donors and any seminary will tell you this. Like, well, the, the professors will tell you this, not, the, not a lot of the administrators and presidents. They will tell you that a lot of, a lot of seminaries are funded uh, by very rich people who are pushing leadership programs, leadership, leadership, leadership. Mm-hmm. Leadership is the big buzzword. This is American slash Roman buzzword. And leadership is the whole thing. It's the whole shebang. And so they teach you to be leaders, but they don't teach you what you're, what you're leading anybody towards. You're leading them to yourself, towards your organization, towards reliance upon you. That's why it is incredibly difficult for anyone to to formulate a healthy um, theory of morality in a megachurch. Because there's a guy at the top. He's got it all laid out. He's got it all in documents on the website. Read them. Read what you're supposed to be. Sign it, and you're in. If there's something you disagree with, you're out.
1: What's so crazy about this, um, this picture that you're painting um, out of a seminary, I mean, it's not foreign to me. I'm aware of it. But what's crazy is like this is a school that presumably we're learning about the New Testament and particularly about Jesus. And he, he addresses like people that are arguing about leadership and examples of leadership, like reigning over the kings and whatever. And he's like, listen, these leaders lord their power over their people. Not so with you. If you want to be first, if you want to be great, you're going to be what? A servant. You're going to be a, like, this is what leadership is going to look like. And it's, it's baffling. I mean, it's, it's just baffling, isn't it? I mean, not if
0: you look at church history. <laughs> I mean, 15th century, people are murdering each other uh, over disagreements on um, – How to take communion who gets to take communion what happens in communion um trinitarian theology how to baptize who gets baptized and if you read their letters one of the big arguments that uh i think luther was making against um uh, who was it i forget his name um he's debating against uh they're debating transubstantiation uh and luther basically it's not as harsh of a catholic view that he believes but he believes god is jesus the body of christ it, like it's present jesus is present in the body and the blood and his argument that he uses is it's the words of jesus it's literally the words of jesus and the words of jesus are this is my body this is my blood and if you argue anything else that it's a symbol you're making jesus a liar hmm. yet <laughs> yet everything in the sermon on the mount is also the words of jesus And it was wildly ignored by every single one of them, except for one small group of Anabaptists who are pacifists, nonviolent people, who are like, well, the words of Jesus said not to do this. And they're like, what? And they're raging against them. So it's like the words of Jesus didn't matter. It was the power. And it was becoming the leader that mattered. And it was maintaining the power. And if you don't baptize your babies, uh, then you're not actually um, making good Germans. Because the church and the state are wrapped up together, when you baptize into the church, you baptize into the into the nation, and so nothing was as it seemed. It was never really about Jesus. It was always about nation building. It was always about power. It was always about the people at the bottom serving the people at the top, instead of the other way around.
1: Now, you said you also went to school with Anabaptists, right? Like at, at a, so you have this other experience. Yes, Anglicans um, and Anabaptists. So now, was that experience? palpably different in this way. So there we, we can recognize theological difference. Right. But like when it comes down to the, the embodying of those truths, I just love to hear you kind of reflect on the contrast yeah, wildly different. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the education I got
0: first never addressed the way human beings changed because of Jesus. It, and if it did, it was more like, um, "Here's what we learn not to do: we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't, uh, we don't have premarital sex because it leads to dancing. You know what I mean? Like, we don't, we don't do this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, instead, um, what I learned from my second education was that the reason there were so many martyrs suddenly in the first three centuries of the church is because they refused to." Acknowledge the existence of other kings they refused mm-hmm. to follow them they refused any king but jesus which also meant they couldn't serve in the military and you weren't allowed to be a part of the church today um there's all kinds of debates about what allows you to be part of a church but it's usually all written down on a piece of paper none of that. none of it has anything to do with the kingdom it's just moral behavior in the ancient world it has all about loyalty mm-hmm. to the kingdom and so the church wouldn't <clears throat> allow you to join. Hippolytus and others are writing that like, you weren't allowed to become a member of the church if you served in the military. Now that was the big debate. Um, and for the first three centuries of the church, nobody served in Senate. Nobody served on the, uh, on any of the, the sort of Roman boards, none of it. Um, <clears throat> today it's wildly different today. Um, it's, it's 100% cultural tribal. I'm, I'm a part of a denomination, a, part, a relatively conservative denomination, actually a very conservative denomination um, called uh, Christian Missionary Alliance. And, um, <clears throat> and so I don't know why I have to clear my throat so much. Maybe it's the virus is like, right? Um, <laughs> one of the things I see every time they <clears throat> we have a conference and they go into their rules is uh, the inconsistencies in the application of those rules. Um, which we swear up and down are all based upon the teachings of Jesus. Um, And so certain things like um, we allow concealed weapons in the church and this and that, um, but we don't allow um, immigrants to take refuge in the church. If they're running from police or whatever, to call refuge in the church. And you ask them why. And they'll say, um, yes, you know, why can't we allow refugees to take refuge, to claim sanctuary in the church? That's against the law. Romans 13 says mm-hmm. obey the law okay um, okay what about uh, know something else what about uh, smuggling Bibles into other nations can we do that yes we can do that but that violates Romans 13 yeah but it's for the Great Commission so we violate the nation's laws when it and any nation's laws when it comes to um, upholding the teachings of, of teachings of Christ okay but all the church fathers would banish somebody for from the church for, for carrying a weapon in the church um, because of what they learned from Jesus. Yeah. But, you know, and so it's, it's never, what I come to find out is like, I mean, you don't really want to, you don't want to put it this way. This is going to sound super harsh. You don't want to put it this way, but the idea that we're going to disobey laws, certain laws and obey other certain laws. And they all just kind of happen to line up with a certain political party or even white supremacy. In some yeah. cases. Um, not not that they're doing it even on purpose. Right. In the back of their minds, this is how they've been discipled. And they don't realize that even the founding of this denomination is vastly different than it is now. That it was much more gracious and it was all about bringing in the immigrants. Like The, the founding of the denomination was founded by A.B. Simpson, who spent all of his time down at the docks in Manhattan, bringing in the immigrants and the Irish and Scottish and immigrants from everywhere who who were unwanted. He ended up getting fired from his church for bringing them into the church. Um, mm. And he had to go start another church and it grew into this massive bajillion church denomination. Um, and it's it's fascinating. Like the, the things that churches are for and against rarely are actually about the words of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It is whether or not you are reading them with the same lens that they are, that affirms the same power structures and political movements that they affirm. Um, And so enter my Anabaptist studies under like the historians I studied under for the church. They point all this out. Mm -hmm. They point out that the only reason the Reformation even happened was because the government was tired of sending money south to Italy. To Rome, And they needed someone that they could prop up and say, this is, this is what we're going to use to separate from Rome. Everything that Martin Luther said, um, Catherine, um, of, Catherine of Siena, 100 years earlier, wrote. I have her book behind me on my shelf. Catherine of Siena said everything that he said 100 years earlier. And it was wildly, widely ignored because, first off, she's a woman. Second, um, because it, it wasn't politically helpful at the time. Jan Hus 30 years earlier before Luther said the same things Luther said and was killed for it. No reformation happened. But finally, there's a king who rises up and says, you know what? I'm tired of being subject to Rome. This guy, Martin Luther, he puts his theses on the door. We look at that as some massive thing. Like he he nailed it on the door. That was a public post board at the time. Everyone, he's like, these are the things we're going to talk about. And this, this happened all the time. Everyone's always nailing stuff to that door on that church. Um, yet somebody from that school took it, translated into German from Greek, passes it along and uses it to start a reformation. And Luther rises to power and it changes him as a human being because of it. Not not necessarily for the best either. And this happened to every single reformer. Even the Anabaptists who started off as pacifists, there's these branches that break off from them. They get incredibly violent. It rarely is about the teachings of Jesus, but when you actually make it about the teachings of Jesus, it absolutely transforms a community and it transforms a city. And the question I always have to keep going back to is, is is this what we're doing? Is this actually about the words of Jesus or is this about something else? And sometimes it is actually about something else. And we have to see that. We have to recognize when it's about us making a name for ourselves, we have to understand when it's us trying to be some kind of rebellious, badass movement or something some kind of underground, you know, subculture thing, like all of that will pull you in the wrong direction. Um, there has to be a constant recalibrating and, and that brings it back to work. The constant recalibration of like, why now are you doing, you've been doing this work for a long time, but why now are you doing it? Because you always have, is it still contributing to the goodness of humanity? Is it still Ordering creation in the right way, or has it has it gotten leaner and leaner and leaner, and the profit ho- profit margins gotten higher to the point where you're actually taking part in an active destruction of humanity, in the active destruction of of communities and nature, society. Um, it always reforming was the tagline, and at some point yep. we stopped reforming.
1: Man. So as you talk about like the, like the, that can, this thing, you know, making it about the teachings of Jesus can transform a church can transform a city. Obviously. I mean, for me, um, I don't know if it's obvious, but to me the, 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 the image of transforming a city, uh, is, is super powerful to me. I had, um, in a recent episode talk to uh Taylor McCall from, um, well from Birmingham, from common thread in Birmingham who's in Alton now uh, in mm-hmm. Illinois, um, working with a few communities, um, and really, we, we talked at length about this. Um, well, so like the, you know, the well and well-built bikes, I've, I've been using the kind of the image just because it's consistent with our own kind of wording is just the, the vision of a well-built city. Yeah. But the idea of it's a kingdom city, right? A, a city that is made whole. Um, and so just, as you even just said that word, I could like feel something in me kind of tremble. It's like, it's like, this is the the thing to lock our eyes on. And, yeah. and, and then as you talk about constantly recalibrating kind of the work, like, well, we've always done this, but should we be right. And the, yeah. the threat of continue or stopping reformation in some sense. So, so I'm curious for you and your own community and your own work, like, I don't know, given the, given the shifting landscape right now, are, are there any lessons that you're learning um, about your community's role and your own role in the transformation of our city, in the work to be done in our own city or in your own community? Um, anything that you, feels like, I know, I know a lot of us, like people are you know, going, man, I, I would have been against remote work, but it's working out really great. Maybe yeah. you know, there's just things that we're doing now going, hmm, this works better than I would have imagined. I kind of like my backyard, like what, whatever those things are, there's like little, little pieces of things to appreciate and then large corrections, things that we like, man, why have we been functioning this way? And all of a sudden it's all been made conscious. Like things that we just did on autopilot, all of a sudden we're like, hmm, I, I have to like, it's at least in front of my eyes now. I'm curious in your own reflection on your own work, your own community, are there things that are popping up where you're going, or even, even if they're just questions rather than conclusions of going things you, you feel like should invest more in that you might invest less in or whatever, just in your own kind of reflection of what, your own, what you're doing.
0: Yeah. I mean, my, <clears throat> I feel like my role in the church at large, which also extends, I guess, this would also become part of Watermark's role because um, it's just been my life's work. Uh, it's, is educating people on the text, on how to read it, on what it means. Um, not how to selfishly read it, how to generously read it in a way mm-hmm. that awakens something, not just in you, but in the people around you. Um, and to read it not by yourself, but to read it in community. The early, the early church was 90, 98% illiterate. They mm-hmm. did not have copies of the Bible. And if they did, they couldn't read them. Um, and so there was public readings and they were performances and they were a way of bringing this thing to life. And so as you're acting this thing out, you're speaking with the authority of the author and you're becoming that author. You're acting like them, so you have Phoebe acting out like as if she's Paul in the five churches in Rome. Um, and so I've, I've come to see like, that is sort of, I want to awaken people to like our calling in our place. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never been the kind of person that understands actually how to help people. Like I've never, I'm not a missiologist. I have so Mm -hmm. many friends that can like, well, here's the structural problems and here's what you need to address this and that, and this and that. Um, I try to surround myself with those people. You're one of those people. Like you you see sort of how to rebuild societies. I think I'm here to give the why. Mm -hmm. Um, if there's no why behind it, you're not going to get any Christians on board. That's right. I mean, the, the empire is telling a very compelling story about how you can rule over everyone else and, and I guess, or, <laughs> colonize the entire world and get them to all act like Christians. But mm-hmm. then what have you accomplished? Nothing. Mm-hmm. You've accomplished nothing. Um, you haven't changed anybody's heart. You haven't given them any reason. And so it will always fail. And so, like, I, I want to give people the why. Mm-hmm. And there's inevitably in every room full of people, those people who know how to take that why and say, okay, now that I have a why, I know exactly what to do. And I've always known what to do. I just never had a reason to do it. That's and right. so they rise up and they start doing their thing and then I follow them. And so this is not, I've, we we have always talked about a flat church structure, not hierarchical, like flat church. You know, maybe one day I'll write that book, flat church. Like it's, it's not, um, I know what I'm doing and uh, I know what my missions guy is doing. Uh, like I don't, like I know what his role is, but I don't know what he's doing. I have a, someone who does the youth ministry. I know her role. I don't know what she's, what she's doing. And I'm always shocked and like impressed to find out what all these people are doing. And they, they come to me like, Oh, we're doing this. I need your approval on this. I'm like, you're doing what? Like, that's amazing.
1: By the way, by the way, I've always really appreciated that about you just knowing your community and kind of the ways that I've been able to be involved. I I've, I've loved the, the, it, it, it almost appears as though it almost appears like a disconnectedness, but in contrast with other churches where you have some leader whose hands are in everything and everything, some managed version of that. Um, yeah. I've just really appreciated the, the autonomy with which your people operate and your own, like, I gave you that job. And um, anyway, I just I've, I've really appreciated that about you yeah. and your own leadership and your community. Yeah, I mean, things only move at the speed of trust,
0: right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's the, uh, if you don't trust them, if you're checking in on your time, five minutes, you can get stuff, you slow stuff down. You ever read that book, The
1: Starfish and the Spider? Uh, uh, well, I'm familiar with the concepts. I can't say I read the whole book. I got Dude, the clip notes. That was one of the things I read
0: years ago, given to me by one of my elders, and it, it sort of like nailed what we were already had in our brains. Like, oh, that's why this was so compelling. It's the entire starfish deciding, instead of a spider's head telling the arms and legs what to do, these there's no centralized brain. It's sort of like, is this, do you feel that? Is this where we're going? Are we going this way? All right. I'll, let me help get the body up here. This way. like, and it's this, see, here's the thing. There's, there's two, there's two ways you can come up with ecclesiology. And for those people who don't know that word, ecclesia is the Greek word for gathering. It refers to the church. There's two ways you can do church. And there's two ways that people have always done church. Um, you can go straight to the writings of Paul. And you can say, here's everything that Paul says about the church, who and who can and can't be a pastor based on their gender and this and that, and you can do all that. Or, and that's typically the reform movement in the Catholic church, yep. or you can do what the holiness movement does in the Anabaptists, and they go straight to Acts to where um, Acts tells you, um, we're not gonna follow any more of the law on the paper. It's now, we're gonna tear this whole thing up. And instead of a building of stone, The church is now going to be the building. When you come together, like there's in Corinth, there's all these temples everywhere, and the church is like bumming because they don't have a temple and they're really into honor and they want a temple. And Paul writes, he goes, "When you come together as a body, like that is the temple. When you come together, you are the temple of Jesus. You don't need a physical structure to gather in, which actually raises a lot of questions for today, but we'll get to that." Um, And so he's like, he's like, "This is what you're gonna do." And so in in the book of Acts, the the general idea is, you are not only the temple, but there's not even a law in that temple anymore. It's written on your heart. It's the spirit of God in you. And that somehow when you come together and you sit in your stillness and you ask God, what are we supposed to be doing? That God is there leading you. But the problem is the megachurch model and too many years of, uh, of um, hierarchy in the church has taught us our goal is to get the people at the top to pray and be led by the spirit and then take what the spirit says and put it on paper. So it went from paper to spirit. And then the role is to put it back on paper and Mm. then tell the people at the bottom, you've just created a brand new law. Like, and now it's so, and, and then we literally built a temple again. And so the whole thing is all backwards. Like we were supposed to be a group of people that came together in the early church. They met in houses. They didn't, they didn't own land for three, four centuries uh, in the little land they did, they started off underground, digging holes into the catacombs and gathering underground, like literally mm-hmm. underground. Um, and so like it's this whole other way of existing that like we're going to get gathered and we're going to be led by the spirit. And so the starfish model fits much more than the spider model where the head is going to tell the legs what to do because the head has decided ahead of time. Um, no, let's sit and let's uh, let's discern the actual word discernment that everyone is supposed to take part in. And I, I want this to be applied across, across the church, everywhere. Um, I want people to come and say, hey, I'm thinking about switching jobs. I need help discerning. Instead of me pulling out a book and saying, read this book and do what it says. Like Dave Ramsey says, here's all the things to do before you finish up. No, like, let's sit and discern. Like, how exactly is this a part of God's work? Oh, by the way, kids going to college, you're going, you're going to choose your degree. Um, People formed by the image of God, people who understand what the image of God is, don't pick a degree based upon how much money it pays. They pick mm-hmm. a degree based upon um, on its contribution to the reestablishment of the kingdom of God and the restoration of all things to God. Like this is how Christians choose a college education, um, and so there should be discernment at every level. People gathering and discerning from everything, from from relationships to um, purchases, to the parts of town, why, why do you wanna live there? Why this house? Is that as much as you could, did you just maximize your budget and how much money you can get for that amount of money? What if you just went smaller and moved to this part of town? What could that do? Like, what if you did this, what if you did that? Like, and what if we were actively discerning in each other's lives? And, and I can't say that, you know, sit around and say, oh, and we do this. We don't, but we should. Um, and every chance we get every opportunity that we get to do this is a win. Um, I will sit down and out with my elders and talk to them about a car purchase. I want to make, I want to buy a car. What do you think of it? Here's a picture of it. Here's what it costs. And like, I, mean, they, I love they, it. They, they say that's too flashy. I'm out.
1: <laughs> I, I, you know, it's really always been, it's been really interesting to me. And I, and I actually think relationships like like romantic relationships are the place that this like most plays out. But like we, and I say we collectively like uh, as a, as a people, um, both as let's say Christians in our kind of North American context, but also just North Americans people, I I would say we value democracy. Mm -hmm. We value community. uh, We value consensus Mm -hmm. until you want to make that purchase or until yeah. you want to date that girl. But then, and then literally all of your friends can come to you and be like, yo, this is, this is sick, or this is unhealthy. This is a really bad – we can all see what's happening here. Yeah, and the thing is but like – You don't get it. You just don't get it, and we become just tyrannical in the decision. Yeah, and the, the church, the funny thing is,
0: funny enough is the church is actually not a democracy at all, but it's, it's, it's a bunch of people with the position of submission to each other. Mm-hmm. of like, I can't see myself. Even if I look in a mirror, I can't, I can see one side of myself. And you talk about you, you need everyone to gather around. I think everyone maybe on their birthday should gather some friends and be like, yo, I want you to tell me, maybe the day after your birthday, tell me about myself. Tell me what I don't see. And let them just speak into your life about like, well, you're selfish. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like you, uh, you, you've gotten fat. You
1: really, you eat too much. You Three, 360 reviews of the new birthday present. Yeah, totally.
0: Like, <laughs> I love it. And like, like you, do, you don't respond to my text messages, even when they're important. Like, and we should be that for each other because it's not just, and it's not just that we should do this for each other. This is how we understand God as well. This is why we need the entire community and not the dude at the top. We need the entire community to gather around and say, here's what I see. Here's what I see. Here's what I see. I need my Methodists. I need my Roman Catholics. I need my Calvinists. I need all of them. I need mm-hmm. to tell me what they see, um, because they're going to have something that I don't have. That's right. Like diversity is wildly more important than just lip service. It's health.
1: Mm. Man, I I wanted to. So you 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 said at some point there's so much in a, in that, but at one point you said like we don't need a structure to gather in, uh, and you go which brings up a lot of interesting <laughs> questions for today. It does circle back to those interesting questions. All right.
0: Why do we gather? Let me ask you a question. Why do you Mm -hmm. think we gather on Sundays at a central location?
1: Oh God. Well, I mean, I, I could answer that from a bunch of different ways. I think historically we do it um, because we re-implemented the temple system. So we, you know, we had this temple that we'd gather in and we, you know, the church basically it kind of as you walk through that church history, we met in houses, we met in kind of catacombs mm-hmm. or whatever, but it's centralized and we reinstituted a temple and the people of God go to the temple to be taught by the priest. And like we and and so so, but then give a, given today, so I, I because of that history, I personally like have a it, I, I've and I've always had a struggle just with Christian culture in general and church attendance and even sing-alongs like i'm not i'm not personally that moved by those things right as much as like the doing you know be out in the street with people or whatever yeah not to say that there's anything wrong with those i just you know we're different right we have diversity among us yeah um but i still very much value a community gathering space the opportunity to interface with one another to be together to circle up and study the words of jesus and 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 build each other up and And in my mind, I'm like, that is for the sake of everything else that we're called to do. It's, it's like a, you know, a huddle, Mm -hmm. like in a football team, like in my mind, I'd go, well, that's the reason to do it. Is it the reason we do it? I don't know. But, but like, those would be my, my two stabs at an answer there.
0: So yeah, I could, I could do that too. I could get into the church history of it and say, well, here's exactly why. And here's why we should do this and that. I don't think that's why people are doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think they do it because they're Americans. That's right. This is is what Americans do. The mall's closed before noon (laughs) on a Sunday. Like uh, most states, you can't even buy beer on a Sunday because there's something about Sunday morning where we make specific space Mm -hmm. for evangelical worship. Um, And so there's a pull. I'm naturally a little bit rebellious. And I want to say, and because of that, we're not doing that. I want to do that. I want to say, no, we're going to meet on Monday morning. I know. You know what I mean? Totally. No, totally. You can't even work a job that doesn't allow you to work. You know what I mean? Like I want to do that. I want to, or like some other night or something like that. Um,
1: but here's the thing, like, I think at, at this point, um,
0: it's sort of like we're accommodating culture.
1: Like it's the wrong I wouldn't hill to in. die on, right? No, like, just to leverage and transform
0: that. Exactly, I wouldn't walk into like a a tribe somewhere in the sub-Saharan Africa and give them prescribe use church history to prescribe. Here's why you should be at this time and stuff. I'm gonna you're gonna look at what they're already doing.
1: Yep, find the and, opportunities.
0: Yeah, and you're gonna just be like, like you know why this is beautiful because it lines it aligns here. You you show them the intersecting points, and so like, sure I could. I could easily point out a 1,000 places where what we're doing aligns there. But if I'm being honest with myself, none of this looks like what that looked like in the early, mm-hmm. in the early church. They actually, mm-hmm. the only people, I would argue, um, the only people that look like they're actually doing what the church in like the third century did, the only people that are still doing that way is literally the Ethiopian Coptics. They're the mm-hmm. only ones probably doing exactly what they were doing in the same buildings, 18, 17, 1800 years ago, us, we've reinvented this thing over and over and over and over and over. And at this point, if I want to plant a church, I'm, I'm going to accommodate the empire. Mm-hmm. They've given us a, a, a time; it's socially acceptable. The people want a space that is not their own, and I think there's some beauty in it. Because people come to me all the time. They're like, I left. I moved out of Watermark. I went to another state, and I can't find a church. And what do I do? This and that. I'm like until you like find that church that I guess you could say meets your needs and this and that go to the closest church you can find and walk in and worship with those people. Yep. (laughs) Like, and they're like, what, but it's Southern Baptist, but it's Methodist, but it's Lutheran, but it's Catholic. Look, the point of the church is to regularly get together with people who you would never get together with. Mm -hmm. Walk into a room full of people that there's no other reason you would ever stand in a room with those people and face the same direction and say the same things and take the Lord's supper. If they'll let, if they'll let you, um, and, um, and sing the songs and pray the prayers with them as a way of binding yourselves to a people that you would never bind yourselves to. Um, and so when I look around at watermark and it's, and, uh, And there's a bunch of people I don't know. And I can tell they're worshiping different ways. And I can tell that like some of them are from different backgrounds and worship backgrounds and this and that. And some of them are uncomfortable and don't even like certain aspects. They don't like the music. They don't like whatever. Like I'm stoked that they're here because they're doing exactly what the church is supposed to do. Like, I don't like you people, but I'm gathering like in, in the streets, on the streets, I would never talk to you people. Like this is the kind of person I would never talk to but I walk into the church and they're there. And now I see, Oh, they're my brother and my sister. And like, When you go to any other events, everybody's kind of the same. When you go to a sports game, they're all wearing the same colors. They're all doing the same thing. When you go to the mall, there's like a, depending on which mall you go to, University Mall and International Plaza, different clientele. Mm. you look around and they, these people kind of belong together, right? The church, when you walk into the church, you should see those people should not belong together. That's the point. And for a little while, you and those people are going to come together and be brothers and sisters and center yourself on something that is not you. and so um, the, reason, uh, the reason we do the thing with the monologue and stuff, that was really vitally important to the early church because everyone was illiterate and it was the teaching. The teaching was the center the thing. And Paul places such an emphasis on teaching that, mm-hmm. it's, that it's so important to him. But the emphasis we don't realize is also on education, not just teaching. It's also like the, uh, the, uh, the elders of the household would literally teach everyone in the household to read. That was one of the roles that they had which is why Christians became so bookish and had so many writings and nobody else had any. Christians had all the writings and they were writing like crazy. Um, The education, the teaching was all part of it. It was just the general come together, think of something bigger than you and help each other become better Mm. um, and organize and and realize what you are doing here. Um, All these pieces come together to me to signify that the church I think is vital in a community. I used to not, I used to be pretty rebellious towards the whole thing and not see the point of it and um, I think that had something to do with the education I was given the first time. Yeah. I'm around. You start to see the beauty of the whole thing. Like, oh, it is important. The creeds are important. The history is important. Even the terrible history is actually vitally important. Mm. To be honest about it because you're telling the story of God, not us.
1: Yeah. Man. Now that we're not gathering, mm-hmm. um, what's the, yeah, I'm just curious if, like, as you said, I, I guess I anticipated, like, the whole, like, implications for us today. I guess I wondered if not gathering was a reference to, like, literally the last two months not being able to gather in a building. Like, is there, is there opportunity here for uh, embracing something that, I don't know, um, maybe is, is there, is there a teaching opportunity here? Is there a, is there an opportunity for us to embody something different?
0: I think there is. Um, and I think it's multifaceted. I, I don't know necessarily. I couldn't, I don't think I could flush it all out, mm-hmm. but here's a few things that I've been able to pick up on. Um, if I schedule a zoom meeting online and say, Hey, open zoom meeting, I'm going to teach history, church history, 80 people will show up. Like, um, yeah. Would I, you
1: have expected that? Did no, you, I, can, did I can't you? get
0: that to happen on a Sunday or a Wednesday, but here's the thing. Like, <laughs> we've suddenly been handed technology that allows yep. us to do something we've never been able to do. Cause these people have children, you know, Super or they're great. at, they're literally, some of them are like that still have to go to work are at their desk at work joining yep. me on their lunch break. And I come to realize like, there's so much more opportunity for teaching than there so ever much. was. And mm-hmm that people actually want to learn. I, I, people, I think, we have an entire mm. generation of, uh, that the generation before them thinks they all want to be inspired. But the generation, all they want it really is to learn. They want to mm. know because they've been saturated with half-truths and fake news and they've been saturated with it and they just want to learn. Mm. And so I've learned to just try, stop trying to inspire people. Like the story is inspiring enough. Yep. Give them all the background to the story. Let them read the story. That'll inspire them. So like I've, I picked up, a f- you know, a, f- a few, I guess, weekly traditions that I'm just going to keep rolling with. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to keep teaching this uh, during the week. I'm going to keep doing church history and bring some of the other elders in to do it too. And try to share that load. I'm going to keep doing Bible for lunch, you know, every other week. And it's awesome. Um, start another podcast channel and start loading those on there. Like all kinds of stuff because um, it spurs me on too. To, to learn and study. They ask questions that I've just never thought of makes me read more. It's great. Like I think we've learned to take more initiative and realize that like, Oh, if I don't start doing something different, we're all going to lose touch. We're going to lose connection. And so I have to look at what we have that is gone. What do we have now? Um, we have to reform to match this. Now let's reform yep. to match this. I think there's one of our house churches that gathers weekly on some video game platform, and they all hop on there. Yeah,
1: house party or something, or on the video game platform.
0: I have no idea. I just heard <laughs> there's a house church that
1: has Bible study on a video game. Like, I'd have, who knows? Yep, yep. Uh, that's awesome. I, I actually, I, yeah, I think it's really like for many of us just prompted, like, there, maybe there were ideas, like, it'd be nice to get to something like that at some point, or maybe yeah. we wouldn't have even considered these opportunities for connection or for teaching or learning from one another.
0: It for sharing,
1: it. and it just forced it. And in a way, like, yeah, why would we go back? Like, we, we want to go back. We want to gather again, right? Like, dude, But we've added to our capacity, our ability to connect in that way.
0: And the drowning out of the televangelists has been my <laughs> greatest joy. Just the fact that, like, suddenly, the internet is flooded with, with preaching. That, like, the crazies are drowned out now. Like there is so and there's so much good preaching online right now. Like my Facebook feed is just full. And I just yeah. flip through on Sunday mornings, like, yeah, dude, yeah. Like see my sisters on there going at it. I'm like, yeah, like I've never heard any of you do this. You're my friends. I've never seen you do it. It's amazing to watch.
1: No, I think, and I think that's one of the it's a real um, it's given people real like option and choice. like, oh, all of these. I mean, God, the whole world went live, right? Like, forget yeah. even just the life of the church. Like, every musician that I love, I've been able to watch do a show from their couch, you know? Yeah. And I, it just, like, what a gift it's been. Um, and it, actually, interesting, all of, you know, like you just said, every church all of a sudden started streaming some version of a service or doing something. Yeah. And, um, and one of the, I don't know, things that I've gotten a kick out of is how poorly – for the most part, um, music has been. So so. like yeah. in, in most of those places, like, we, well, one, the whole thing, like we hadn't figured the tech out, we weren't prepared for this or whatever. I will tell you, just having tuned into the at least the beginning of a couple of your uh, Sunday mornings, uh, you guys have done a good job. I think, and my, my hypothesis here is that you're a group, you have a bunch of recording artists. You we guys did. have already like figured out sound you yeah. already utilized this tech in a way to where i'm like that hard. like yeah you, i put it on i'm like oh this is good there's, there's
0: three or four gold records in the church like um like yeah. it's it's like we we're we're musicians and here's the thing like did you see okay so 2 weeks ago 2 or 3 weeks ago i had an article in christianity today did you see that i didn't no it was about this very thing and on the second week of doing virtual church here i had a bit of a existential church crisis Okay. because I realized several things. I realized we're all trying really, really hard to do, like, to do something cool and awesome that sounds amazing and this and that. And I was together with my, I was, I was in a, a Zoom meeting with my staff, made this whole conversation about like, well, we could take old recordings and we could put lyrics to them and we could just put them online and this and that. And at some point I was like, guys, everyone's in their bedrooms and in their living rooms. Like watching you, like we are like, we can go to the church and we can record live. Like some churches have been doing this, record live a big thing with lights and fog. And blah, 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 blah. Oh, we don't do lights and fog, but they like record live. Yeah, just
1: stuff. like our Sunday morning or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, guys, everyone's at
0: home. I was like, why don't we, if we're going to be like Jesus and be incarnational, go home, get, get your guitar, sit on your bed, play a song in front of your messy room and your beige walls in front of a poorly lit lamp and sing your freaking heart out. Mm. And they're going to sing with you rather than trying to soar above like the entire thing and pretend like, no, we're having service. You're going to escape. No, you're not. Instead of you escaping, we're going Mm. to join you. Like, this is a picture of Jesus. We're going to climb down. Like, I'm not going to go to the, my first thought was like, I could go I could still record a service at the building with my visuals and this and that. And at some point I was just like, This is all wrong. This is Mm -hmm. the wrong approach. The right approach is to nix all of that and to sit at my desk and for you to sit on your couch and you play your song. I'll preach my sermon and they're going to sit on their couch and they're going to watch us on our couch. And we're going to be together in this moment instead of pretending like there's some big show happening and we're all going to escape from it. That is incarnational. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote that and I sent it to um, one of my professors, Scott McKnight, and uh, he, he posted it on Christianity Today the next morning. That's, That's awesome. Part. And then all the big <laughs> church, all the big church pastors were, were like, nah, "Nah, sounds like somebody that can't do a good job or something like that.
1: I, I, I was just as you're talking about that, I got to be on a like a zoom call uh, the other day with people from all over the planet and and we were having a something like a service, but it didn't resemble anything like any service you've ever been to. Yeah. Um and then you could tell it had been like it had, it was it was slightly facilitated in that it was like someone from Ireland read liturgical prayer. Yeah. And then a woman in the slums in the Philippines prayed over everyone. And then someone from Africa sang a song. And then so, you know it's just like people from all over the planet were on this one call and I'll tell you man like it was it was clunky in like the Do you have bandwidth? You froze for half the song. Like, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you, you're, you're clearly, you know, using, you're in a shed using a really crappy microphone. Like it was in in quality. It was, you understand the power of that, that can end wars, dude. It was, it, I was like, I was trembling and I was like, I, I don't ever like, this is how I want to do it forever. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm just like, I want to do this regularly. Dude, maybe you will do it forever and maybe and and maybe we yeah that's exactly right this is the thing like so
0: when world war three breaks out and the christians from all over the world are still getting together every week for a zoom Mm. meeting (laughs) that's gonna end a war like if there's enough of them participating with their brothers and sisters around the world they're gonna realize Mm. oh i don't we don't we don't have an army because my brothers and sisters are in another country and that would mean that their army is at war with my Oh wait a minute we serve the god of angel armies and we don't have a flag his banner over us is love and like we don't have Mm. like we don't have borders we have a king who rules over the whole thing and the earth is Mm. his footstool like the whole this is the power of the church that people don't realize because for too long we've made it about like let it burn we're getting out of here like no 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 no. like we're virtual church online church could end wars Mm. in the same way that like when i was growing up when i first started playing xbox and playing online and playing Halo. And I realized I'm talking to somebody in China. I'm hmm. talking to somebody in Iraq. And I'm playing Halo with somebody in Iraq. I'm like, we're at war with you. And he's on my team. I'm like, and I honestly, I was I was like 18. And I had this thought. I was like, yo, this could end wars. <laughs> like, why, why would I go to war with kids I whose <laughs> countries I play video games with every day? Like, that doesn't oh. make any
1: sense. War games lead to the end of uh, war. Yeah. War actually Let's just settle this yeah. online. <laughs> Let's just, I'll see you on the halo ring. I love it. So I, uh, I want to ask you a couple questions. Um, well, one, I want to circle back to something you said early on. And let me see, I jotted down a note because I didn't want to forget to circle back to this. So you were talking about the laws, um, Old Testament laws. This is, I think, when you were framing up Genesis and stuff. And you, and you were talking about, like, mixing the calf with the mother's milk or the bird and the, and the eggs. And you kind of, as an aside, you said like, so it'll go well with you. Or You said, or you're going to end up in a quarantine in your house because of the coronavirus. <laughs> so uh-huh. I wanted to circle back, Mister Liber- Liberty, Mister Liberty, because because there are people who would believe that, who would say that, right? For like, yep. so I, I just wanted to give opportunity to kind of circle back to that a little bit and yeah. actually ask like about the. I don't know. You're thinking about the the, yeah. Just you're thinking about this in in that in that framework. Yeah,
0: we've uh, we've gone to the point where the things that the Bible considers a curse, we consider luxury. So there's this passage in in the law that as well that like they had all these laws on usury, which is interest. Um, don't charge interest. That was yep. that's the general rule. Don't charge interest because you're putting people into debt, and debt is what leads people down the road um to absolute enslavement and so we have all kinds of rules about debt and then and there's laws put in place to keep people out of debt Um, every seven years the farmer couldn't till on the land so the person who actually owned the farm couldn't make any money off the workers and whatever grew the people got to eat and blah 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 Um, you couldn't actually till to the edge of your garden um, so that travelers and poor people coming through could just eat food out of your garden as they're walking through. Um, anyone, who, anyone who actually harvested the edges of their garden was just publicly shamed. Like, how yep. dare you? People couldn't mm-hmm. die. Um, how dare you not think of your neighbors? And then like it gets so big and to the point where there's this passage, it's like, woe unto you who, who, um, who save up money and buy acre upon acre and field upon field Woe unto you who gather up so much land and join house to house that you live alone in the land. But do you know how much I just want to live alone on the land? (laughs) Like, you know what I mean? And the blessing that I think would be a blessing, the Bible clearly lays out as a curse. Mm -hmm. The person who lives alone on a massive plot of land in the Bible, um, that is a curse, not Mm -hmm. a blessing. Mm -hmm. And the reason is because you get disconnected from your fellow man. And you get disconnected from the role that everyone else plays in your life, and so uh, the first thing we all learned about quarantine, about ourselves during quarantine, was how interconnected we all are. Yep. And it goes right back to the guy flipping the burgers. That like, mm-hmm. oh, suddenly I need that guy. Mm-hmm. I could have, I could have never gone to McDonald's again in the rest of my life, um, but suddenly I've got to eat some fast food somewhere. I've got to go through a drive thru when in reality, I'm middle-class enough to never go to a drive-through again. Um, and suddenly um, the doctor matters and suddenly the, the kid stacking the grocery aisles matters. Like suddenly we're all intertwined and the person who's alone, I have a brother who lives on a mountain. He's a missionary. So um, he's always lived out in the middle of nowhere. And so, he, <laughs> dude, you should talk to him sometimes. He, um, he, he didn't trust, he doesn't trust the U.S. government or anything. He lived in, he lived in the jungles of Indonesia for nine years, learned the people's language that, that nobody had ever seen before, moved in with them, him and his wife and his five children, his five little boys, um, learned their language, invented an alphabet for them, taught them to read and write their own language, and then translated the entire Bible into their language, had all wow. these types of malaria. So he, he doesn't live in civilization. So he wow. moved back here, and he, all the money that people were giving him to support, he never spent any of it. So he ended up buying he would just like have a guy buy a little acre for him in Tennessee on a mountain. So now he owns most of the mountain in Tennessee. He lives up there in a cabin with his now six kids and wife Mm -hmm. um, doing Bible translation work and training training missionaries to live off the land as he did. Um, And so like he lives off the land and he's all alone, but like in reality, that sounds like the greatest thing in the world, but in the script, in the minds of the early writers of scripture, that is, the biggest curse. And my brother, once this uh, pandemic started, I called him. and He's like, yeah, I can't get food at all. anywhere." Mm. Like, he's like, so me and the boys, we forage in the woods for food. And he's got some turkeys and he's got some chickens and they lay eggs. But um, he's like, I realized like, we kind of had this conversation about like, yeah, I have to venture in every two weeks and stock up on, on food. And I've just, I've never had to do this. Um, And I don't know how he's getting his food before but like suddenly like and he couldn't he he was it goes in there's nothing there um mm-hmm. all of this to say like the the misuse of the land there was a way you were supposed to live that included letting land lie fallow sometimes and respecting animals and respecting nature not blowing the tops off mountains to get rocks and oil out like And at some point Mm -hmm. when you're stacking animals up in a a wet market to like, and you're taking, you you just, it's basically torture. And this is how most of these pandemics have started. This is the first Mm -hmm. one to really affect us. I mean, H1N1 was close, but like we can all kind of like you follow all these things back. They all kind of go back to the mistreatment of nature, mistreatment Mm -hmm. of animals. Um, This is how we end up where we are by forgetting the image of God and the vocation and the calling that we have um i i i know so like growing up especially at liberty man is how like how often i heard people talk about environmentalism is basically you're polishing the brass in the titanic because their theology tells them god's going to destroy the whole thing and you're going to fly away Mm -hmm. um i don't believe any of that (laughs) now like god's work is here that's that's platonic gnosticism that is yep that is the idea that like God's work has God has never viewed this world as important. That it's an abandoned project. God failed. Um, no, no, no. the The message of Christianity is that the great hope is the restoration of all things to God, the reconciliation right. of all people, all things to God. That everything lost will be given back. Everything ruined by us will be made whole again. And if you read through the laws, what you see is the constant reminder that, like, uh, because everything needs to be made whole. Because everything needs to be made whole. Like. Yep. Don't buy up a bunch of land and live by yourself. People should live with you there and they should work with you there and you should gather around the fire at night and tell stories and sing songs. Um, living alone in the land might be a luxury to Americans, but to the Israelites, it was a curse. And it was idolatrous. It said, it told people what you thought about God's world.
1: It's, it's, it, oh, I'm glad I circled back to that to ask you that. That was a really good answer to that because I feel like it. it you're, in some sense, let me see if I can hand it back to you in like a pity, like way of saying it. like Because it isn't so much that we're being punished for our sins as by our sins. Yeah. R- right? Absolutely. Like it's like what we, have, what we have given birth to kind of in the world, we, we, di- we face the consequences of.
0: Yeah, we are planting and reaping every yeah. single day. And right now we are reaping things that we planted for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I ho- hopefully we're planting also in this time, new things that we can reap later that are good, that are beautiful. The big thing about like well, my, my big Easter sermon was about, of course it was about resurrection, but what Mary expected to find at the tomb. Um, I went out into my garden and I preached a sermon in my garden. I didn't think my neighbors would be up, but they were out walking around staring at me wearing a suit at six, forty five in the morning, preaching at my phone. It was weird. Um, (laughs) The general idea was that like what what Mary expected to find at the garden, well, there's three things. There's what she wanted to find, which was everything put back. And that's what we want. We want everything put back the way it was. We had plans. Mm. She had plans. It's debatable what those plans were. I think those plans were that the disciples thought they were going to gather up an army and gather some swords and they were going to wage war against Rome. Um, And whatever her future was, that was was a part of that plan. Uh, So she wanted it put back but she doesn't get it put back. And she knows that. So what she actually expects to find at the garden is, uh, is more death, more of the same. We wake up tomorrow expecting to find more of this. And in all likelihood, we will. It may even be worse. We haven't peaked yet in Florida with the virus. Um, we expect to find something worse. But what she actually found on Easter is something better, something bigger. Um, a whole new... Okay, the, the way John, dude, the way John um, presents Jesus in the garden, he describes Jesus as, and she thought he was the gardener. Mm-hmm. That's not just a mistake. Um, this is a Jewish way of writing that was like, um, uh, first mentions is kind of the rule. We're like, if John mentions something that he hasn't mentioned before, Jesus in a garden, um, that she thought he was the gardener. You're supposed to think in your brain, where was the, where's the first time in scriptures I see a garden and God in the garden? Mm-hmm. Oh, Genesis. What do you have there? You have a man and a woman in the garden, the first Adam, the first Eve. And what happened there? That was, they were together in that garden right before all life was lost, right before all goodness fell apart, right before the giant fall of humanity and everything plunged into violence and war. And now on the first day of Easter, the very first Easter in John 20, he paints the picture of like, you have another man and another woman, a man who just came up from the ground, like Adam, which means from the ground. Mm -hmm. Jesus comes up out of the ground. He's in the garden with a woman uh, it's the new Adam. It's the new Eve. And Paul later calls him the new Adam and you find them there right before all life is given back. All purpose is restored. Everything starts. And, and we find the introduction of a new people in the world who don't follow other Kings and who live a completely different way. Now mm-hmm. that didn't necessarily continue in mass, but that was the start of it. And I think God's always going to be bringing us back to that and restarting it. And eventually I think what God is doing is setting everything to rights. Through mm-hmm. this message of Jesus, through the work of Jesus, through the presence of the Spirit guiding us, not the paper law. I think we'll, we'll eventually see that, like, God was in it the whole time. He's present in it, in all of our work, which brings it back to work. Mm-hmm. God is in that. It's not even about you. It's not about making a name for yourself. Um, and you should be constantly waking up in the morning and asking yourself, is this a part of the Imago, the, the work of the Imago Day?" And if at any point you realize it's not, you readjust, you recalibrate, you walk away, you start again. Um. That is our daily climbing up on the altar.
1: It's a really cool way that that has circled back from where we kind of started, and the because of the other idea, like the Imago Day, but also the 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 Missio Day, right? The, yeah, the, the work of God, the mission of God, the thing that got, And you're like, and it comes back to like the work and God's work, God's intentions, yeah. the thing that God is doing. And I think it's a um, not just I feel like this kind of really, really well, kind of came back to where we began um, before. Um, so before I forget, before we run out of time, I want to ask you a question. I try to ask everyone and I, and I do feel like potentially it's, it's a good, um, follow up to what you were just saying, but in, in general, um, how would you define success? Hmm.
0: Honestly, I hate to say it's kind of a a very American question. Um, I I don't I don't know that there's one way to do that. Mm -hmm. I think I think it's um, depends on sort of what your aim is. If it's Mm -hmm. because I mean, some things people would define as success, I think is massive failure. Um, So I guess a a cosmic success, if you would, if I just go up sixty thousand feet. A cosmic successes. Um, did you take part in the ordering of creation in a way that reconciles and restores things to the way they were intended to be, mm. even in the slightest bit? And if you did, you succeeded. Well done. Yeah.
1: Very cool. Anything you want to point people to or ask of people that are listening um, before we wrap up, just things you want to invite folks to to see or to look at or to connect with you?
0: Yeah. I mean, if you guys, anyone out there wants to join me for a Bible for lunch or church history for lunch, I do one on one Tuesday. I do the other on the opposite Thursday and just goes back and forth. Um, hit up uh, watermark Tampa.com and uh, there's a link around the front page. There's two links there to tell you, you just go uh, every other Tuesday or Thursday at noon and click on that and you'll hop right in. Don't, uh, don't zoom bomb us, please. Um, and then second, have you seen that all the craziness? going. On. Um, no, I don't know about that. <laughs> oh dude, people from the outside just coming and disrupting meetings. Um, and so second, uh, if you're interested, we also have a podcast, uh, Watermark Tampa podcast, all the sermons. We're going through the book of acts right now. I just finished a three year, a three year journey through the book of Matthew, which was amazing for me personally. Like I learned something. Mm. Um, and then, um, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, go there and type in Priest and Phillips. And that's my sort of band name. And it's me and a few friends. Um, and uh, we have a studio and we make music and put it out. And it's a lot of fun.
1: I think you may like it. That's it. Awesome, man. Dude, thank you so much for taking some time with me today. And um, yeah, dude, I really appreciate your work and just continue to hold your community in prayer. Excited awesome. about what you guys have been doing, excited about. Things to come, man, and ways we can continue to partner with you guys. Thank you, dude. Appreciate it. Yes, sir. Have a good one. All right. You too, man. Hey, real quick before you go. um, I just, first of all, want to thank you for listening to this show at all. Thank you for tuning in. Um, Hopefully, it's been of value to you. And the fact that you've listened to the end of this episode is extremely encouraging. So thank you. If you would, uh, do me a favor and help support the show by first of all, subscribing to the show, wherever you listen to podcasts, if you would share maybe an episode that was of particular meaning to you with a friend or two, or maybe on your social media platform, if you would maybe leave, uh, some feedback in the form of a review, I would be super grateful for that. Um, just so you know, there are on, uh, on YouTube, if you look up the work ethic, I think actually the channel is Johnny produce 59. Um, if you look that up, you can actually see some of the videos of some of the zoom calls that some of the most recent podcasts were done on. I try to make those available there. If you're interested in maybe seeing as well. Um, and anyway, yeah, just thank you so much. Oh, one last thing at the workethicpodcast.com, which is basically just a link tree, there's a link there. I believe it's at the top where it says join the conversation. And you can click that button and simply leave a voice recording from your phone. Um, I don't know what the time cutoff on that is, so let's find out. But if you want to, be on the show, if you want to maybe answer the question, what is success, if you want to talk to a specific topic that has come up or a theme that has emerged in the different shows, if you want to offer input into this project that is maybe a a journey of developing a a theory or a philosophy of work and its role and meaning in our lives, I want to invite you to do that. Um, Also, if you have any particular people that you think would be an amazing guest to interview or someone to talk to from really any vocation or any field uh, don't hesitate to you can leave it there as a voice message or you can message us at well at any at the work ethic at any social media platform just find us on there and shoot us a quick message and we would be super grateful for all of that engagement Um, really appreciate you listening and uh, really appreciate you supporting the show thank you